Hey there, it's Seb Fry the Real Estate Guy here with another episode, if you will, of the Real Santa Cruz Podcast. Today I went down to the Aptos Chamber of Commerce and I heard Supervisor Zach Friend uh, give a talk about a number of issues which are important to folks in Aptos and also I expect to folks uh, in a lot of Santa Cruz County. So uh, it's very interesting, very candid remarks and um, I found it very educational and uh, I hope you do too. So without further ado, let's hear from Supervisor Zach Friend. Actually, Patrick on my staff's birthday today, too. Wherever you are, he, he's forced to come to these things. Oh, there he is. When I speak, because he takes down notes of every dumb thing I say and then talks to me about it when we get back to the office. But, but uh, Bruce has the great um, misfortune of, of uh, living in the 5th District, right? Right? And, and so one of the things that I knew uh, for Bruce, and I knew it was his birthday, and um, I thought, other than Scapazzi's, where do you eat in the 5th District, right? So, but in the 2nd District, we have just an unbelievable number of great restaurants, and I thought that if he's going to come down here for his birthday, Tina and I bought him, and, and uh, really for you to take Mary out, it's really not for you, uh, a, a nice dinner at a beautiful local 2nd District restaurant, because Bruce, um, I, I think, and I, and I really mean this, I think in many respects, Bruce is a, is a true county supervisor, which is that he doesn't really represent one district. Uh, in many respects, he has the interests of the second district equally at hand, and, I, and you really need to remember that when you think about him, because all of the conversations we have, uh, he has this district's interests in mind too. So, Bruce, happy birthday! This is uh, from Tina and I. Enjoy the second district moving forward. <laughs> So I asked uh, John and Karen, I said, how long do I get to speak? And they said 20 minutes. And I don't know if you knew this, but there's actually an unwritten political rule that we add a zero onto every time. So <laughs> I would never do that to you, actually. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have that. We'll make it 10, and then we're going to take a lot of questions, because I'd rather just uh, hear from you than, than you hearing from me. So when Bruce and I were elected in 2012 and took office in 2013, it was the first time in over 30 years that two new supervisors had taken office at the same time, right? With, the, with uh, Supervisor Ryan Coonerty taking office as of Tuesday of this week, the longest tenured county supervisor currently serving will be six years. Just to say that, that I really think that change or a new approach to county governance is, is really inevitable right now. And, and I would argue that actually over the last year, the County Board of Supervisors has made more positive changes for this county than it has in over a generation, from economic vitality to affordable housing to public safety to parks. We've enacted improvements that I really think will be really focused on the next generation, like Elliot back there. So what have we done? I mean, we've helped streamline over 100 county planning codes, if you can imagine that, just in the last 12 months. We modernized the code to improve business uh, retention and expansion. With Patrick's help, we've created a statewide broadband master policy that is actually being used now by the governor's office as a, a statewide model policy to, include, uh, to improve internet access throughout this county. And while, and thank you, whatever the internet is, right? And so why would we do something like that? Every single day, 30,000 people, 18,000 cars commute over the hill for work. Think about that for a minute. Every single one of them sits on Highway 1 with me at the exact same moment I'm on Highway 1, I've learned, right? If you could take any of those people off the road, any of them, think about what you could do, for not just from an environmental standpoint, from a transportation standpoint, from a traffic standpoint, from a quality of life standpoint. I mean, the fact that people could spend more time with their family, they could 
make more money locally. A lot of the reasons that people work over the hills because we don't simply have the infrastructure here within this county for jobs, meaning high-speed internet access, etc. And so as part of the economic vitality strategy that, that uh, Bruce helped champion, we have new policies that help uh, encourage satellite offices of some of these Silicon Valley companies to exist here, from Googles and Apples, et cetera. They have a lot of employees. They, they send buses, literally, they charter buses every single day from Santa Cruz and Scotts Valley to send people to literally export our talent over the hill when people could be staying here. In addition, we've made changes to uh, some of our policies on, on roads in order to make a number of local roads now eligible for state and federal funding where they weren't before. And thanks to all of you who helped pass the tax measure for parks, and thanks to Kate Minot, my great parks uh, commissioner that's here, we now have some funding to, believe it or not, have bathrooms at the polo grounds. What a concept. I know. Believe me, when I stood up here a couple of years ago telling you I was running for office, I didn't think that the biggest thing I would accomplish would be a flush toilet at a park, but hey, hey. <laughs> if I get it done, consider it my biggest accomplishment, probably. And also get a brand, after 15 years, to break ground on the Seacliff Village Park, which is a pretty remarkable thing to have a brand new park here opening up in Aptos in 2000, this year, 2015. So what are we going to do in the coming year? One of the first things that we're going to do is uh, we're bringing forward a policy to the board to create a new mobile application for the county. Uh, I know that everybody really loves coming down to the 1965 award-winning county building. Now, this is true. Did you know that it actually won architectural awards in 1965? <laughs> the county planning department has has hung up awards for, that's probably the last time the county planning department won an award for design, but in 1965, in 1965, the county planning department, the county building actually won awards, so I don't know if it was for like Russian brutalism or whatever, but it won, it won awards for design. But imagine if you didn't have to go down to the county building for every single thing you did, right? Imagine if you had a mobile app that allowed you to interact with the sheriff's office to file a police report online or to get a pothole filled. I mean, the only thing more frustrating than a pothole is trying to figure out who to contact and what to do in order to get it filled. Or you can actually get permits from the planning department straight from your phone so you don't have to sit through the process of doing it. You know, these aren't, this isn't exactly uh, 21st century technology even that we're talking about here, but these are things that we can do. And I've been working with Patrick to do exactly that. It's something we're going to bring forward to the Board of Supervisors in the next month as a policy to create. And we expect that this year we'll be able to have this mobile app that'll allow you to interact with government in a different way. So this shouldn't come as a surprise that all these changes that we've uh, brought forward over the last year from economic vitality to affordable housing to land use policy, all these changes have come with a significant amount of opposition. Um, change in this county doesn't come without a fight, quite frankly. Uh, we've faced lawsuits over the last year, delay tactics, uh, personal smear campaigns. Um, it seems like every other day I get an email from somebody informing me that they're going to run against me, et cetera, et cetera. Because all too often, really within this county, in the local political debate, we seek a status quo for some reason that I'm not really sure why that is. Uh, we, fear ch we fear change so much, we fear change so much that we seek no change at all, not realizing that no change actually leads to the greatest change in this county. But the way I see it, really, our county right now is at a defining moment in the senses of, of this whole new set of elected officials. We came out of a, the greatest recession since the Great Depression. We have a lot of local businesses here that are just starting to bounce back, a lot of local families that are really have been struggling and haven't really seen uh, economic advantages to them recently. 
And I know uh, every time I go to Deluxe Foods in the produce section, for whatever reason, I run in. There's something about that vortex right there. The produce <laughs> section at Deluxe Foods is the place where I learn uh, about all the things the county does wrong. Uh, <laughs> and and, and uh, we should start in the meat section, babe. And, yeah, and end there. But I know that a lot of people sort of lost faith based on what they tell me uh, that local government, county government, I should say, can really improve their lives. I mean, that, that we have a role to play in making people's lives better. And, and I, I really think that, that uh, that's unfortunate. I know that we've created some of this narrative ourselves. I think we're to blame. I think that it isn't easy uh, to go through the planning process. We don't have enough sheriff's deputies, and when you call, it sometimes takes a long time to get a response. We don't have enough assistant district attorneys to deal with all of the cases. We don't have enough parks maintenance staff. Or we don't have enough county code compliance inspectors. And it just seems like we're unresponsive, and I get it. I hear it. But we really have two choices. We can stay static or we can progress, right? We don't have to accept that status quo is the only option here. I don't consider myself that old, but I do remember when the word progress was not a bad word, right? For some reason in this county, it's, it's, it's got a negative term, it's got some sort of negative definition associated with it, I don't think it should. I mean, I remember when progress meant that you were willing to innovate, when you were willing to take chances, when you didn't accept that, that unemployment and people driving over the hill or sitting in cars, you know, in this amount of traffic was a reasonable, acceptable thing. It meant that progress meant things like, well, it meant everything from penicillin to a women's right to vote to then Senator McPherson helping protect the North Coast to, you know, the National Marine Sanctuary. Progress itself should be a good thing. Um, Eisenhower used to say, if we don't progress, we regress. And I, and I think that pro progress for me is something that we talked about here from this podium last year, which is that it's saying yes if as opposed to no because. For way too long in this county, we say no to everything first. That's our answer to everything. No. Why not start with a yes and then figure out how it can fit within the values and constructs of making this county better? But in order to do it, you, have to you really have to challenge some deeply held political convictions in this county. And I tell you what, that's not an easy thing to do. You have to be willing to give policymakers <clears throat> a space to deal with what's important versus what's urgent, right? Taking a step back, what if I didn't fix the pothole and instead I found a way to fix the road? That takes additional time. But the, but the reality is, is that that's, that's actually what you want us to do it, right? You want the actual problem itself dealt with in advance, sometimes even before there is even a, a problem to, you can even see. It doesn't get you reelected, I guarantee you that. I mean, you're, you're judged exclusively on the efficacy of how you respond to individual problems and immediate needs. I guarantee that because when we address an individual person's problem that contacts our office, they say you did a really great job. That's the feedback you get. Thank you for addressing our media problem. People don't recognize that if you, what I want to do, what you want to, but I want Patrick's time and Allison's time, I want the county staff time spending on, is not having the problem in the first place, right? Is, is creating new constructs from economic development to transportation to land use to housing to et cetera, et cetera, that are not the ways that we've been doing business for the last couple generations in order to not have these problems in the first place. I guarantee you, my 10-week-old child right now, if we continue down the policies that we've been doing for the last 30 years, absolutely will not, and I can say this with complete confidence, find a high-paying job in this county or be able to buy a house here. 
That's wrong. I mean, and we can change, I mean, who else can change it but the policymakers with the support of the community, right? We actually have the ability here to say that that's just not an acceptable thing to do. It's not easy. Uh, it's not popular. But good public policy shouldn't come from just telling people what they want to hear or, or standing down in the face of any sort of opposition. You know, it comes from taking a chance and allowing a divergence of ideas, a divergence of opinions, and allowing them to bubble up and be discussed in a respectful and meaningful way. Change in my opinion, and progress in my opinion, changes the resource dynamic. It's the only thing that increases the amount of options that we actually have. I've, I've said to Patrick a million times, and he's probably sick of hearing it, that I always viewed myself as having been given a plate of food. And people say, well, you can eat anything you want as long as it's on that plate that I gave you, right? You have this small set of options. And I'd much rather have the next, I mean, I'm keenly aware that the plate that I was given was, was chosen by a number of policymakers before me. And I thought that if, if I can look at 20, 30 years from now and have the person that's standing up here at that time really feel like they were given a whole new suite of options, then I really think that, that uh, Bruce and I and the rest of us have really done our job of uh, improving the lives moving forward. So I was... Um, when you're up at 3 in the morning every night, uh, <laughs> you either have um, a problem that the sheriff's office needs to deal with or you're a new parent. And, uh, and, I, was, and I was recently reading uh, some quotes that, that, uh, from Robert Kennedy, actually, from a Robert Kennedy book. And I thought this one was actually kind of interesting apropos, which is he said at a commencement speech at UC Berkeley, the future does not belong to those who are content with today or apathetic toward common problems and their fellow men alike that are timid and fearful in the face of new ideas and bold projects. Rather, it will belong to those who can blend passion, reason, and courage, and will belong to those who can see that the wisdom can only emerge from a clash of contending views. And I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I absolutely welcome the fact that uh, there should be contending views. I do not expect that anything that I say or do will be 100% accepted or agreed upon, and I'm completely comfortable with that. And I hear a lot of times people will say to me, but I've got 20 people that are against it. How could you do this? How could you do that? I filled an entire room of people that were against something. I didn't elect to do what was popular. I wasn't elected to do what was popular. I really believe that you elect people for their judgment and to make decisions for the future. If I, if I, only, if I only cared about what a room said, I think that we'd continue down this status quo for the last 30 years. And, and I feel like, hey, I've got a job interview with 60,000 people every four years. Most people can't say that. Right? That's a heck of a job interview. And I will know in a couple of years whether this is something that you thought that I did right or did wrong. Everybody knows that. That's the kind of reality. I well, to be fair, you give me feedback every single day on it. <laughs> but still, <laughs> usually the deluxe food in the produce section uh, when I gather. <laughs> but I, I truly believe that. And I think that, that we have a responsibility just as because I'm represented not just by myself, but I'm represented by other elected officials, uh, by Congressman Farr and you know, by Assemblymember Stone and, and Senator Monty, et cetera. And I have to remember, remind myself that I need to give them the space to, to focus on what's important versus what's urgent. And I need to give them the space to make mistakes because I know that uh, some of the things that I've thought of and some of the policies that I've come up with are probably not always the best ideas. Uh, but at the time, given the information that I have, I really think that they are the best situation for us uh, moving forward. You know, it, 
every day I try and think about the fact that we really live in a time of infinite possibilities. And I don't think that you could have really even have said that a couple generations ago. I think that, that uh, the amazing thing about technology, the amazing thing about knowledge that we have today, and it's only going to get better or worse depending upon how you look at it, is that we have infinite possibilities. And we shouldn't limit ourselves by saying no. Just, we just shouldn't start the answer with no. Um, we have a vested stake with one another in this county. We're too small. You know, we have a responsibility to leave things better than we found it. And I think that I, I don't know what I would do if I went to work every single day or what any of you would do if you went to work every single day if you weren't thinking about how what you were doing would actually leave something better for uh, the next generation. So my ask of you, because as I've said to you numerous times, you are my city. You are all I have, in most of the other county supervisors, Bruce and, and I face a very unique situation. We represent a lot of people that aren't represented in another way by another form of government, right? So we're on our own for a lot of services. And without you uh, speaking up, without you supporting the entire process, we are uh, actually, quite frankly, disadvantaged over the other county supervisors that have that double coverage. Uh, that don't have to spend 90% of their time worrying about police coverage in the city of Santa Cruz, the city of Watsonville. Uh, roads, I mean, think about all the things that we would provide, that these other places provide. So I've just asked that moving forward that we try and get rid of some of these tired old arguments that status quo is the only acceptable policy locally, you kind of break down some of these, you know, the, some of these silos that we've really rewarded and built on, and, and uh, that I hope that we answer the yes first, uh, we question not people's intentions, but the actual end result of things. Uh, I think you would go really far in accomplishing better things for this county. So that is all I'm going to say before I take your very easy multiple choice questions <laughs> up here. So thank you. None of the above, thank you. Multiple choice question number one. Back in October, uh, shortly after the birth of Elliot, who came in and led the Board of Supervisors and approved the sustainability plan, I want to thank you for that. I know you're very tired and very late and probably upset your life, but nonetheless, it was a great, a great effort. Could you comment on the uh, opportunities that the sustainability plan led to APOC? Thank you, Tom. Yeah, 11, years after, 11 hours after um, Elliot was born, I, I uh, turned to my wife and said, I, I'm late for a board meeting. And she said, you're going to be uh, late for a divorce hearing, too. Uh, she was actually, it was, it, was, it was a wonderful time to take advantage of the situation. She was under such, such anesthesia, she didn't even know who I was. So, so I, anyway, I went to the board meeting. The reason that I went was uh, because of this sustainable Santa Cruz plan was being considered, and it was too important for us to not have a vote on, right? And, and it, along with the economic vitality strategy, I really lead to the greatest set of changes for land use, transportation, and housing in this county. And what the sustainable plan does is uh, look at transportation networks functionally, say corridors like Soquel Avenue and the hospital corridor around Dominican and Sutter, and look at them in a way of saying, these are already urbanized corridors. It goes all the way into here, right? But what are we doing wrong under county policy to make it more easy to both build housing and, and uh, businesses in those corridors? Well, one of the things we do is we have absurd height and density requirements on these things. I mean, look, if you can only build a two-story home, I, 
one thing that's affordable is smaller units at a higher density. I mean, this isn't rocket science. This is something that, that's been proven time and time again in cities across America. But our actual, even though we come from the, one of the most progressive backgrounds, theoretically, county policy absolutely doesn't accept it, doesn't accept it at all. And the Sustainable Santa Cruz Plan changes a lot of that. It allows for uh, higher buildings. I mean, nothing out of the crazy character. We're not talking five and six stories. You're now talking three and in some very limited situations, although it's up to debate four stories. Higher density so that there's smaller unit sizes that would be acceptable. Smaller setbacks in commercial corridors for these, you know, live-work kind of situations among those corridors. And businesses, like a hospital, I mean, how about a concept of a hospital being more than two stories tall, right? And, uh, and that's exactly what uh, this plan has done. But this plan has been challenged and challenged and challenged and challenged. Um, there were elements of it that I went down to the Coastal Commission in San Diego to argue in favor of, and the Coastal Commission voted in favor of it. Uh, lawsuits, as I was saying before, delay tactics. So, uh, you know, the status quo, there's a strong advocacy for the status quo. Uh, in this county, and and, uh, and you know, not all change is good. I mean, there are times that you get, you know, so not all change is good. But I think that that people can trust the judgment of, of what we're doing up here. But that sustainable Santa Cruz plan, in part and parcel with the economic vitality, uh, which is uh, uh, at its at its core a significant shift in how the planning department does business, uh, is is really going to make a big difference in the next five to ten years. Because I think that when you meet with people that want to build both a business or a home or develop affordable housing here, they say, it would be great, but did you know that we literally pay $10,000 a unit in a child care fee, courtesy of your planning, your, the Board of Supervisors approving this 20 years ago? Um, and I said yes, and that's what we're here to change, and, and that's that's the stuff that, that we're doing through these plans. Thanks, Tom, for the question. Yes, Wes. Zach, there seemed to be a lot of um, uh, support for status quo with the Safeway Center project, which uh, seems to be changed now because of ownership of uh, element within, within Safeway. Uh, where do you see this going now? Do you have any insight there? Yeah, well, so Safeway, as I think everybody knows, Safeway is a grocery store sold to Al Albertson's parent, but uh, they had a pretty good uh, business plan where they, the property, the PDC, the actual company that owns the development centers, was a separate arm, right? So they, they just would anchor these centers with their own store. And PDC, so the actual sale to, to Albertsons functionally did not change anything at the development here. What changed things was about two weeks ago when the PDC itself, the, the underlying owner of the actual center, sold. And, you know, they're not the most communicative group to, to us. Um, uh, Pat, I mean, we, we call them all the time and get sort of nothing in response or, or these sort of uh, talking point responses. But, but my, my, sense is, my sense is this. My sense is that, um, and I'll just speak frankly, I don't know if this is, is, this is true or not, because I haven't heard this from Safeway. My sense is, is that there was a large push to get a number of projects under, with, entitled before they sold it, because obviously that would make it more valuable. Uh, those that had the greatest political opposition, I imagine, like this center, are probably going to now be at the absolute bottom of the new owner's list of caring about anything. Um, now, here's the problem with that. I, was, I don't think a 65,000 square foot store is reasonable for Aptos, right? Okay, I mean, I think that that's a little crazy. The problem is, is that when the minute that center sold, uh, it lost its Prop 13 protections, and the county revalued it at $44 million, right? Which, so just from a pure property tax pass-through, um, it didn't matter if Mother Teresa bought it. The reality was everybody's 
triple net, the, the, their, their underlying costs were going to go up, right? And so there was always this sense that Safeway's raising rents, they're raising rents. Well, it actually wasn't actually true. I mean, what was actually true is the county functionally was raising the rent through the property tax pass-through. And we worked unbelievably hard with the small businesses, and Doug Deaver, wherever he is in this building, has a remarkable amount of credit here for that as well, to protect those businesses to not see rent increases. Without getting into names, I can tell you that there's actually a beloved business in there that's currently paying no rent. None. That was a negotiated deal that we did just to save them during this transition time, right? I can't see those deals being honored moving forward now that we've got a new owner. And here's the worst part of it. So now you've got increased property taxes, right? A new owner that doesn't have the same connection and no improvements. I, I mean, that's not, and this is what I mean about saying no first. I mean, there was such strong opposition that if, you, if we had taken a step back and said, well, we'll say yes, but we want it to be within a character that we can respect as opposed to just creating an opposition group and saying no, no, no. Now we're, in some respects, going to reap what we sowed as opposed to coming to a table and negotiating something that the entire community could live with. And now I see the worst of all worlds, which is raised rents, no improvements, and our beloved, some of our beloved local businesses going out of business courtesy of our own actions. That, that's a really unfortunate reality. To, and, and, it's, and, and by the way, I'm sure it'll just be all blamed on Safeway because that's what is much easier from it. You know, but that's not exclusively the reality of that situation. So that's what I... We will be much more involved in meeting with the new owners once we can and see what we can do. And, and I'll lay this out to them and say that, that this is not... We want something that fits within the values and please respect these local businesses, but we'll see where it goes. Ruth. On that note, can you update us on the Aptos Village plan? Yeah, uh, the Aptos Village plan was the question. Um, the county, uh, this has been the most complex chess game that I've ever played in. Um, and I'm not a very good chess player. Um, but. We've had, so there are there were about 50 individual uh, agreements that needed to be reached with property owners on this project. Think about that for a minute. I mean, from easements to, and uh, we took a very aggressive approach over the last year of just saying, we need to get this project going, right? And so the county, on the, when the county had the responsibility on some of the public right-of-ways, we, we, we took about a dozen or so of those agreements to eminent domain. Most of them ended up uh, coming to an agreement with us in exchange. It's interesting that, that people don't, won't come to the table, and then all of a sudden when the county says they're going to take it, all of a sudden a price comes in. Uh, you know, we're all along, they, they just wanted, they, just, they had a price they weren't willing to say. Uh, we had a very, very difficult and prolonged and, and uh, um, in some respects, unethical negotiation with the rail operator that ended up finally getting worked out. Um, but the fact that the bike jumps were being closed was Barry Swenson's strongest signal yet uh, that this project's moving toward reality. Now, the county has actually funded three-quarters of what we need to on all the infrastructure improvements through that area. The last quarter comes exclusively from their developer fees. So... Uh, I'm not saying anything up here that I wouldn't say directly to anybody from Barry Swenson's face, which is to say it's totally in their court now. Uh, the county has actually done every single thing, every single thing that it needs to do to make this project happen. And the minute that they, they apply for the project, which they haven't done yet, they actually apply for the permits, it triggers a significant number of development fees that they don't want to actually incur for obvious reasons. But once they do, then we can start the infrastructure project, which is the first stage of this. Now, the infrastructure project is going to make a lot of people unhappy because it's going to be, you know, we're going to be putting in signals down there. There's going to be road work, and anytime you do road work in and out of the outhouse village, um, you know, you have to call Patrick. So, 
I mean, we got to get it done. Uh, it's as close as it could be, and, and I encourage you, and, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I encourage you just to, you know, to call up your friends at Barry Swenson and just say it's time. I mean, because it is time. It, it's time. We've done everything we were supposed to do uh, at the county, and I think that uh, in the last, I mean, i got to give Robin an amazing amount of credit for the work she did with Supervisor Peary. And we just took that, that ball and, and finished all of the negotiations, and now it's up to them to actually apply. So I, I could give you a timeline, but I mean, it would just be a timeline of, it's arbitrary, I mean, it's up to them. I'll say this, they have to do something this year or they lose the county entitlements, right? I mean, we, the approval that was done by the board before I even got on still has a time, has a time horizon. Um, and I know that some of the people that had signed early lease agreements with them are, are very much encouraging them to uh, start something or therefore lose the lease agreement. So I think that they have a significant incentive in 2015 to do something. John. <laughs> the Seacliff Village Plan. Well, uh, thank you to Charlie for helping make Seacliff uh, beautiful uh, with your wonderful Marianne's, one of the most successful new businesses. I mean, you along with uh, Manuel's. <laughs> Just uh, anchoring and, and um, is uh, Charlie's one of the reasons why we had a 10-pound baby, actually. <laughs> You sent me down, don't deny it, babe, uh, to go get mud pie, mud pie. Um, <laughs> but the Seacliff Village Plan has, um, the, has been a significant focus of us for the last couple of months. They, they went to bid six times on the undergrounding and did not find a qualified bidder, right? Uh, the sixth time they found a qualified bidder and then learned that uh, there was an element to the undergrounding that they needed to do that that bidder couldn't actually do. So that was actually the fault of the... Uh, of AT&T's initial proposal. However, uh, we've gotten that fixed. Uh, the Regional Transportation Commission, uh, through a legal opinion of, of the RTC's lawyer, was able to work out a deal with uh, uh, the rail operator to allow for boring underneath the tracks, which was actually a pretty complex deal as far as utilities go, because nobody wants to sign any rights. Or, I mean, look, you're dealing with PG&E and AT&T. <laughs> Rob, are you here? I can, I can say anything I want. So, I mean, this is like, you know, the, the sense of entitlement of utilities is, is like amazing, right? And so they, they, uh, they, they didn't want to come to the table and sign anything away and even said that they had to sign something, right? So we finally got basically our attorneys to say, fine. In this one instance, we're, we're setting no precedent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, legal letter, right? Something that Sarah Clarenbach would understand, I don't really get. But we did it, and uh, that was just signed a couple months ago, and as of yesterday, Patrick got an update uh, to say that uh, we're a couple weeks away from all of the sort of back-end stuff being done. Uh, work in general doesn't happen here until after the winter season, which is April, is done. So um, the earliest it could begin is April. But I tell you what, I think that, the, that what's being proposed in Seacliff uh, I mean, Aptos Village as well, but Seacliff is going to make that an unbelievable crown jewel. We're talking about undergrounding, we're talking about streetscape improvements, a new median, a beautiful new entrance to the state park. Uh, we've uh, worked with our uh, county public works department to 
pre-allocate funding for new sidewalks that would allow for sidewalks all the way from the state park to SoCal, uh, which are currently doesn't exist. It's a more walkable neighborhood, and to hopefully connect in eventually with what will be some sort of trail network through that area. Uh, but we've been think we've been thinking about that as far as the future goes, and uh, that's the Sequoia Village plan. I think should I think the underground should start this year is our hope because we've definitely done a lot to make sure that it happened. Any other questions, Ruth? You're right. Um, well, Rose, I'm sorry. I mean, my mind. Sorry, Rose. Yeah. <laughs> um, rail trail, rail trail train. Mm -hmm. The rail trail versus the rail trail train. Well, I'll make it a, a 10 second answer, which is to say the Prop 116 funds that were per they were used to purchase the line require active rail service. Okay. So if you're going to have a trail, you'll probably have a train absent. Uh, the train being deemed non-feasible. We've gone down an entire process with uh, um, Caltrans to fund a grant to do a rail feasibility study that's coming out in April, and we'll have a better sense then. But the funding requires an active rail service. It's an important thing to remember. Um, and unless we can prove otherwise, I think you can expect that a train's part of the matrix. We'll just take one last question, then I think we're done. Bruce. Uh, the talk about Sucliffe, uh, you're right, and it's still within the regional trend. It's been approved twice under the state STIP, um, a state funding process through the Regional Transportation Commission to begin construction in 2017. So every year we've been putting money in, uh, starting with Supervisor Peary and now us, of uh, a little bit of money each year in order to fund that bridge, which will be. Uh, basically connect the old Mar Vista to Mar Vista, right, which is just a, a street that got cut off by a highway. And so now this uh, overpass, which would be great because a lot of kids, um, as you know and as Paul knows, uh, can't walk from Seacliff over there. It's just too far. They have to cross the highway twice on, on entrances and exits. It just really isn't safe. It makes what really is about a quarter of a mile walk a mile and a half. And so this, uh, this new overcrossing, a pedestrian overcrossing, a bike overcrossing, will be on Mar Vista, and construction starts in 2017. Was that it? That's it. All right. And that's it for the remarks from Supervisor Zach Friend. Thanks so much for listening. As always, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on the internet. Just uh, do a Google search for Seb Fry. That's S-E-B space F-R-E-Y. You'll find me all over the place. I work mostly in Santa Cruz County, but also in Santa Clara, Monterey, and uh, other counties nearby as well. So thank you so much. I'll be in touch. <laughs>